Thank you so much for joining us today at our Savior's Church, where we are one church meeting in five different locations. And our goal is to help you on your spiritual journey to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference in the lives around you. If you'd like to learn more about our Savior's Church or how to get involved, visit us online at OurSavior'sChurch.com. I don't know about you, but it seems like the older I get, the more I need to be reminded of stuff, right? The more, the easier it is to forget stuff. My wife sends me to the store for four things. I'll get three, and then I'm walking around the store going, I know there was another one. And if I come home without it, I could be in trouble. Uh, set reminders on my phone for simple things that I used to be able to remember easily, but it's just not so easy anymore. And you know, sometimes we forget things. We know it, but at times we can forget it. And so this morning, I just want to give us a reminder today. I want to give us a reminder on this thought, God is in control. Listen, God's always been in control and God is still in control. Amen? Doesn't matter what we see what we hear, doesn't matter what's happening in our culture, around the world, in our community, God is in control. And I just want to remind us today that he's in control whether we understand it or not. He's in control whether we believe it or not. How many of you know belief isn't determined by whether or not we believe it? Truth or truth, truth isn't determined by whether or not you believe it. No, truth is truth whether you believe it or not. And God is in control whether we see it or not. God's not stressed out about anything. He's in control and it's not even hard for him. I want to take you to a chapter of scripture in Acts chapter 12. And I just want to walk you through that chapter and that story for us as a reminder today that God is in control. Can we pray? Heavenly Father, we're so thankful for today. Lord, this is the day that you have made and we rejoice in it today. God, I'm reminded of King David where he said in the Psalms, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. God, it's good to be in your house today. Father, as we we break the bread of your word together, we pray, Lord, for your anointing. God, I'm so thankful that I get to share the word, but God, the power is is not in my sharing. The power is in the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And Father, today you said that your word would not return void. And God, we believe you. God, we believe you to bring a harvest, Lord, from your word today. Bless every uh, hearer of your word. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So Acts chapter 12. We're going to walk through this chapter and we're going to look at a story. Thank you very much. You're good. Thank you. Starting at verse 1, let me just read this with you. It was about time, it was about this time that King Herod, now let me just tell you, this is, uh, Herod was not a personal name, it was a title, it was a title of a ruler, and this was Herod Agrippa that we're talking about. You may remember his grandfather, uh, Herod the Great, who was in power when Jesus was born, and he set out to kill all the young boys in order to try to kill Jesus. You may remember his uncle, um, Herod Antipas, who had John the Baptist killed. But this is, this is Herod Agrippa, but he comes from a line of uh, our ancestry of men 
who did everything they could to kill the message of Jesus Christ and to kill uh, the gospel. But how many of you know God is in control and God's plan is always fulfilled? Amen? So it was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. When he saw that this pleased the Jews... He proceeded to seize Peter also, and this happened during the Feast of Unleavened Bread. So I want to remind us today that God is in control even when we suffer. I don't know about you, but I don't like to go through hardship. But I think sometimes we have to be reminded that God is in control even when we suffer. I think in the American church, We've actually developed a theology that doesn't allow suffering to be of God. Anytime we suffer, I don't know about you, but like me, you probably begin to rebuke the devil. At times we question God, how could you allow this? Or we immediately begin to pray for God to take it from us. Do you know that this morning, all across America, churches are filled with people who came to Christ out of suffering and hardship? Think about it. Some of you in this room, you came to Christ out of a divorce, out of a broken relationship, out of a diagnosis. You came to Christ when you didn't know where else to turn. And as difficult as that season is, look at what it produced. I know in my own life, when I was six years old, my, I, there were seven kids in my family. My father was an alcoholic, a chain smoker, and a gambler. And at six years old, my mother kicked my father out for the very last time and filed for divorce. Months later, he was uh, a salesman on the road. Months later, he got in an accident in Mississippi. The other man was killed, and my father ended up in a hospital for three months. And it was in that hospital bed where he was confined that he called out to God. A chaplain came and led him to the Lord. My mom agreed to let him come home uh, when he got out of the hospital, but he could only stay until he recovered, and then he had to leave again. But when he came home, she saw a different man that she had been married to for all those years. From the time my my dad said yes to Jesus, he never touched alcohol or nicotine or gambling again. Instead of being the selfish man that left, she saw a grateful, thankful man. Instead of being a, a dominant, controlling man, she saw a serve, someone who also wanted to serve. And all of a sudden, through his hardship, our whole family came to Christ. And now over time, all seven of their children have served in ministry. You know why? Because God is in control even when we suffer. Even when it's difficult. God is still in control. That's why James chapter 1, verses 2 and 4, 2 through 4 says this. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Listen, even though we're not interested in suffering, I'm not signing up for suffering. I'm not, I'm not suggesting we do that. Even though we're not interested in suffering and many have thrown it out of their theology, God will still use it to refine us. God will still use it for our benefit and for his glory. 
Because whenever we suffer, God is not abandoning, abandoning us. God is actually moving toward us. And we've got to remind ourselves of that. It's not a season of God deserting us, but God walking right there with us through that season. And our theology, what we believe about God, must not be based on what we think or what's convenient for us. Our theology must be based on the word of God. And it's so interesting, we see the disciples who were literally martyred for their faith. We see our Savior hanging on a cross, and then when anything, anything happens to us that we don't like, we think this must be the devil. You're only here today because Christ was willing to suffer on your behalf. Right? And so we've got to understand that God, God loves us today, and he is for us. But let me just tell you, God's love... God's not, love is not a pampering love. God's love is not a spoiling love. No, God's love is a perfecting love. There are times when you as parents allow your, your children to go through something that seems so hard for them, right? But you allow them to go through it because you know it won't kill them and you know they're going to learn a lesson from it. God's love for us is a perfecting love. And God's perfecting love has appointed for his children at times a season of suffering. And we must remember that God is in control even when we suffer. But because of his goodness, it will work out for our good. How does that happen? Well, we got to remember that God is sovereign. That word sovereign simply means supreme authority with everything under his control. Anybody here play chess? Anybody play chess? There we go, some chess players. I've, I've never been in the chess. I can play checkers. I can maybe beat you in backgammon, but I've never played chess. Maybe I'm not smart enough for it. I don't know. But if you were an average chess player playing against a chess master, guess what? No matter what move you make, he would know what move to make next in order to beat you. Can I just tell you? That's how God is. No matter what move you make, he's ready. No matter what move the enemy makes, he's ready. No matter what move the wicked makes, he is ready because he is always ready to make the necessary move in order to advance his mission and his good purpose. How many of you know God has purpose for us, amen? In Philippians chapter 2, verse 13 says, For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose in you. God loves us. God's got a plan and God's got a purpose for our lives. But sometimes it involves suffering. But these disciples must have been thinking, how is it that we're going through this? We've seen a move of God. There in the book of Acts. Over 3,000 people come to Christ in one day. And now this? Now James is dead and Peter is in prison? Maybe you're here thinking to yourself, some people need to hear this, but I'm really sincere in my faith and God always protects me. Listen, that's awesome. But can I just remind us today that sincerity does not exempt us from suffering? Maybe you're here today and you go, well, I've been a believer a long time. I'm a mature believer. That's awesome. But maturity doesn't exempt us from suffering. Maybe you're here and you go, well, I serve in the church and I give to the church. That's awesome. But serving doesn't exempt us from suffering or hardship. 
Our theology must be secure in this. God loves us, God is for us, and we can trust him no matter what. God loves us. God is for us, and we can trust him no no matter what. Two Christmas Eves ago, I lost my youngest sister. She was uh, 49 at the time. She had a 10-year-old son and a husband, and we lost her to cancer. But as she got close to the end of her journey, she said this. If I had the option to go back and be cancer-free but miss what God has done in me and my family, I would choose the journey instead of cancer-free because I can never, ever, ever live or imagine my family living without what God has done for us in this season. Can I just tell you? That she came to an understanding that God uses everything for our good. God wastes nothing, amen? And our theology must allow room for suffering. You should never say, and I should never say, that if God really loved me, he would not, you fill in the blank. Listen, we all have those things in our lives Can I tell you, even if those things happen, God loves you, God is for you, and you can still trust him. So God is in control even when we suffer. God is also in control even when it's midnight. Let let me read this verse of scripture, verse four. After arresting him, he put him in prison, handing him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. Herod intended to bring him out for public trial after the Passover. So think about this. Peter is in prison by himself, and Herod put 16 guards to watch one man. 16 guards, 16 to 1. You know why? Because Herod was wicked and even knew that God was in control. Herod was wicked but still knew that nothing was impossible with God. Peter had been in prison before. He'd been, you, Acts chapter 4, he was in prison. Acts chapter 5, he was in prison. Here we are, Acts chapter 12, he's in prison. And what we see is, in verse 5 and 6, so Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. The night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, And sentries stood guard at the entrance. Uh, Have you ever been to jail? Be honest. Have you ever been to jail? You're my people. All right? I I went to jail one time. I I grew up a good kid. I mean, I I didn't do anything wrong. I like stole a pencil from Putt-Putt one time or something. But when I was 19 years old, I was on my way to tour a Bible college that I would eventually attend, and I was running late. I was on I-10 passing through St. Martin Parish, and I get pulled over by a state trooper going 92 in a 55. Hey, don't judge not lest you be judged. I was on my way to Bible college. I, I don't know why he didn't take me to jail right there, but he wrote me a ticket. I had to appear in court, and I remember the morning I went to court I, had, I, I thought I had enough money to pay my ticket, so I lied to my mother and told her I was going to play golf. But I really went to court thinking I'm going to go to court, I'm going to pay my ticket, all good. 
it wasn't all good. I get to court, the judge is having a bad day, and he, I, he, he hears my case, which wasn't a case, and he goes, I sentenced you to $300, I'm good, I got that, and three days in jail. I'm like, I'm not good. <laughs> right? Three days in jail. And then he tells the bailiff, bailiff, take him away. Like, I'm a hardened criminal. I was going to Bible college. We, me and the, the, the bailiff, he's about 80-year-old man. Not that there's anything wrong with that. But 80-year-old man. And we're walking down the green mile. I'm talking about it just seemed like it was forever. And I asked the bailiff what, it, the, the, what to me was a logical question. I said, sir, when do I come back to serve this? He chuckled and he said, son, you're here. And I gave him the response that, he, that to me was logical. I just go, I can't be here. My mom doesn't know where I am. They take me into uh, the jail. The jailer's a lady, and they take my mugshot and my fingerprints, and I'm thinking my mama is going to kill me. And then they're going to put me in this holding cell, and with this, they had these, these holding cells, and one was a biker dude, and one was a normal guy like me. Very normal. And so the biker dude, not that there's anything wrong with that, but I'm just telling you, it was like the worst biker dude you can imagine in your mind. And so she goes, put him in cell number one with the biker dude. I literally, just, I just go, lady, I said, ma'am, you can't do that. She said, excuse me? I said, look at him. And so I said, please put me in cell number three. So she did. I'm in cell number three. So I knew I was getting a phone call. I watch TV. So I said, I need a phone call. She goes, uh, okay, okay, we'll give you your phone call. So I called my mother, who my parents owned uh, their own furniture stores. And so it's a busy day. Now, this is a collect call because this is back in the 80s when you had a pay phone and you made a collect call. Old people remember that, right? Um, and so my mother answers the phone and they go, we have a collect call from David. She goes, David, where are you? I said, mom. I have to tell you something. I lied to you this morning, and I'm in jail. She goes, son, I'm busy. Don't play with me. And right about that time, they're bringing a criminal through, and he's just cussing up a storm. And that's when my mama knew I really was in jail. This is what my mama said, I promise you. I said, mama, I really am in jail. She said, they can't keep you in jail. Let me talk to somebody. I'm like, oh, my mom said you can't keep me here. Here, she's on the phone. They put me in a cell with 12 guys who were all talking about their brothers in Angola. Yeah, exactly. I was scared. Right? And so finally my brother-in-law shows up at the door. My brother-in-law had ran for sheriff of Lafayette Parish, and he had worked in the court system for years. He shows up at the door. He had made an agreement with the judge that they would let me out after one night. They would make me a trustee. And it's interesting because my brother-in-law had a friend of his from this church who happened to be in jail at the same time. I know, you knew Iberia people. And so his buddy was in jail and he was a trustee, so he just said, you stay with this guy until they let you out. And I did. But I can tell you this, I wasn't sleeping. I didn't sleep that night. Right? But Peter here is in jail and Peter is sleeping. The church is praying. Peter is sleeping and God's not worried. 
Because Peter knew that God was in control. Peter remembered Psalms 139 where God said that he numbers our days. And how many of you know that everything God does is good? He numbers our days. Peter remembered Psalm 56, 8 that says he saves our tears in a bottle and records them in his book. I don't know how that happens. Ask Pastor Jacob, he's smarter than me. He remembered Luke chapter 12, verse 8 that says God is so in control and so into us, he literally numbers the hair on our head. Pastor Sean gave God the day off today. And Luke chapter 12, verse 25, which says, which of you by worrying can add a single hour to your life? I don't know about you, but sometimes I feel like I need to ask God for forgiveness for the petty things I stress out about, for the petty things that I lay awake worrying about. And here we are. God is in control even when it's midnight, and midnight represents a deadline. Maybe you're here today and you're facing a deadline. Maybe with your family, your job, your finances, you're stressed out. Can I just remind you that God is in control? We as a nation are facing a deadline here in just a few weeks as we elect our next president. And for some of you, you're stressed and you're, you're, you're thinking the absolute worst. For some of you that are here today, in your mind, if this guy gets elected, we're in trouble. And for some of you, it's if this guy gets elected, we're in trouble. November 3rd, 1992. It's election day, presidential election My father was a godly man and read so much scripture and prayed so much. But I remember 1992, November 3rd, late in the evening or in the afternoon as the votes began to come in. And it looked like President Bill Clinton, Bill Clinton would win the presidency. And I remember him gathering all of us together to pray. And this is what my father said. If Bill Clinton wins this election, it's over. As a nation, we are done. Some of us would like to go back to to Bill Clinton, huh? And in his mind, that candidate was bigger than what God could do. Can I tell you, I don't know who's going to win the presidency, but I know this. What God is able to do is not determined by who's in the White House. And if you're freaking out and wringing your hands that if this one wins or that one wins, that it's all over or we're in trouble as a nation, listen to me. God is in control regardless of who's in the White House. God's in control. You know why? God's got a plan and God's got a purpose and he will see that plan and purpose fulfilled in us as a nation. God doesn't have time constraints like we do. You're facing a deadline. You got to know, maybe that bill is due tomorrow. Maybe that mortgage payment is due tomorrow. Maybe that chemo treatment starts tomorrow. Listen, God doesn't have time constraints like we do. 
He's not limited by time and deadlines because he has options we don't even have. Think about John chapter 11. John chapter 11, uh, you know the story. It's Mary and Martha and their brother, who was a good friend of Jesus, dies. They send an email to Jesus. I'm assuming. I don't know how. The Bible says they sent word to him. So I don't know. Email, text message, something. They send word to Jesus that their brother Lazarus, Jesus' good friend, had died. Can I tell you what Scripture says? I don't, it's crazy that it's even in here. John 11, verse 6 says, Jesus got word that Lazarus died, yet he stayed where he was two more days. If, if I die, Pastor Jacob better come to my side. He better not stay where he is two more days. Like if we're really good friends, don't you think Jesus would have just like made it his priority? In fact, when that happened, Mary and Martha were mad at Jesus. When Jesus gets to their house in verse 21, it says that Mary and Martha came out and said this. If you had been here earlier, our brother would not have died. Let me just say this. I, I, I don't know why I didn't say this in first service. Think about this. This is Mary and Martha who had heard and seen the works and the miracles of Jesus. And yet when it was their situation, they doubted what he was able to do. Some of you are in this room and you've already seen God deliver you. You've seen God redeem you. You've seen God heal you. And now, but yet in your situation today, you go, well, if God had came, God's not done working yet. God's not work, done working on your, in your situation yet. So Mary and Martha say, if you had been here earlier, our brother would not have died. But you know the story. The Bible says they took Jesus to Lazarus' tomb. And Jesus literally said, Lazarus, come out of that tomb, right? And what happened? Lazarus came out of that tomb. You know why? Because it's not over until God says it's over. God's in control even when it's midnight. Verse 7 through 11. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up. Quick, get up, he said, and the chains fell off Peter's wrists. And then the angel said to him, put on your clothes, put on your sandals, and Peter did so. Wrap your cloak around you and follow me. The angel told him, Peter followed him out of the prison, but he had no idea that what was going on was really happening. He thought he was seeing a vision. He passed the first and second guards and came to the iron gate leading to the city. It opened for them by itself and they went through it. When they had walked the length of one street, suddenly the angel left him. Then Peter came to himself and said, now I know without a doubt that the Lord sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people were anticipating. Listen, it doesn't matter how late it is. It doesn't matter what the hour is or how close you are to your deadline. God is a miracle worker. Amen. And, and, and there are times when I go through hardship I don't know how you are when you go through hardship or difficulty or suffering or whatever we want to label it. But when I go through a difficult season, you know what happens? 
That's when I draw closest to God. I'm praying like never before. I'm reading more scripture than ever before. I'm crying out to God. I'm vulnerable with God. I'm being honest with God. Because you know, sometimes we're not always honest with God, right? Because we think he doesn't know everything we've done. So, but in those seasons, I'm like vulnerable and close to God. And the whole time I'm praying, God, please take this from me. I don't know about you, but I love it when my kids want to be close to me. Now, there are times I have to make them be close to me. I'm like, Gabby, come sit on your daddy's lap. And she's 14. She's like, Daddy, please don't make me. But there are other times when on her own, she'll just come and she'll want to be close to me and she'll want to talk to me and tell me what's going on at school and hear about my life and whatever. I love those moments. And I have this feeling we're going through hardship and we want to be close to God. And God's like, I like it like this. This is worth a little bit of suffering for you to be vulnerable with me. It's worth a little bit of suffering for you to draw close to me. See, we want it to end, and God's like, no, this is what I like. So God is in control, even when we suffer. God is in control, even when it's midnight. And God is in control even when our faith is weak. Have you ever struggled in the area of your faith? God is faithful. God is in control even when our faith is weak. Listen to verse 7 or verse 12. When this had dawned on him, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where many people had gathered and were praying. Peter knocked at the outer entrance and a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer the door. So here's the deal. They're in the house praying for Peter's release from prison. That's what they're praying for. Next verse. When she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed, she ran back without opening it and exclaimed, Peter is at the door. So she just leaves Peter at the door because she's so excited. But listen to this. The great faithful people that are praying, listen to their response. They tell young Rhoda, You're out of your mind, they told her. When she kept insisting that it was so, they said it must be his angel. They're praying for his release. God answers their prayer and they're like, there's no way God did that. They said his angel. In other words, they thought surely he died and this is his spirit coming back to visit us. Can I just encourage you today? These people had weak faith and God still answered their prayer. They had weak faith. They struggled whether or not it would really happen. But God answered their prayer regardless of the amount of faith they had. Mark chapter 9. There's a story of a father who brings his young son to Jesus. His young son is possessed by a demon. The demons are so, so bad that literally at times the little boy falls on the ground, foaming at the mouth. The, the demons will throw him to the ground and even throw him into a fire. And the man comes to Jesus and he says this. He says, Jesus, if you can touch my boy, would you? And Jesus' response is this. He says, if I, with a question mark, if I, like, haven't, don't you know what I've already done? And then this is what the father says. 
I relate to this. The father says this. He says, I believe, but help my unbelief. You know what I get out of that? If you want me to pray for you for healing, I promise you I've got all the faith in the world to believe that God's going to heal you. If you want me to pray for your lost child or your lost spouse, I'm going to pray and we're going to believe God with great faith that they're going to come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. I can pray for you with faith because I believe that God will do it for you, but I don't always believe that he'll do it for me. God, I believe, but help my unbelief. Listen to me. Faith is important. But God's sovereignty supersedes our faith. God's sovereignty supersedes our faith. We should find comfort and encouragement in the fact that God is bigger than our lack of faith because God is in control. Verse 16, but Peter kept on knocking. And when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished or they were beside themselves. And then lastly, God is in control even when the wicked seem to prosper. So Herod has has killed James. He arrests Peter. God shows up and does a miracle, and Peter's out of prison. Verse uh, 21, on the appointed day, Herod, wearing his royal robes, sat on his throne and delivered a public address to the people And they shouted, this is the voice of a God, not of a man. Once before, the the apostles had the same exact scenario where they're preaching and they're doing miracles and people tried to say that they were God. And the apostles stopped and said, we're just his servants. There's only one God, one true God. But here Herod, Herod soaks it in and he gets arrogant and he gets proud. Have you ever wanted God to just come down and slap somebody for you? Be honest. I have. Now, if it's your spouse, we got a bigger problem. Y'all need to come see me for counseling. Have you ever looked at some wicked person or some wicked group and asked God, God, why don't you do something about that? You think to yourself, God, if I were God, I can tell you what I'd do. As if God wants your opinion. Right? Can I just tell you, the Bible teaches us that's what eternity is all about. Don't you worry. There is coming a day when God will bring about his judgment upon wicked people. But every once in a while in Scripture, we get a glimpse of his power toward those who arrogantly reject him. And before we too get too excited, because i got to be honest... I've talked to people about judgment, Christians, and you can see like joy on their face that the people they don't like are finally going to get what they deserve. Can I just tell you, when we think about God's judgment, it should humble us because but for the grace of God, there go I. But for the grace of God, you could be deserving of God's judgment. You could be arrogant and proudful and cursing God. Verse 23, immediately because Herod did not give praise to God, an angel of the Lord, you're about to see a gross way to die. 
An angel of the Lord struck him down, and he was eaten by worms and died. Listen, it may look like the wicked are prospering, but remember there's coming a day when God will be exalted once and for all. God is in control. The kingdom is being built. His agenda is advancing, and we have the opportunity to be a part of it. Amen? Listen, nothing delays God, nothing stops God, and nothing is too hard for God. Listen to the last verse that that we'll read there. Acts chapter 12, verse 24. But the word of God continued to increase and spread. No matter how hard Herod the Great tried to stop the word of God and the work of God, it did not stop. No matter how hard Herod Agrippa tried to stop the word of God and the work of God, it did not stop because even in the midst of suffering, even in the midst of trouble, even in the midst of persecution, God is sovereign and he is advancing his kingdom today. And we should take joy today. At 2 Chronicles 16, 9, that says, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose hearts is loyal, whose heart is loyal to him. But listen, when you look around the world and you go, Where is God? 2 Corinthians 5, 7 says, We walk by faith and not by sight. And your faith in God should remind you to remind yourself. God is in control no matter what I see. No no matter what I think, no matter who's in the White House, God is in control because he is God. Amen. Would you bow your heads today? Your heads are bowed. Your eyes are closed. I want to ask you this question. All right, let me just say this first. When I think about the hardships I've been through, the, the people I've lost in my life, the things I've gone through, as difficult as they were, I still had God by my side. I've served God since I was seven years old. And I've always had the God that said he would never leave us or forsake us by my side. I always had the God who said his grace is sufficient and his mercy is due every morning by my side but I could not imagine going through those hardships without Christ I could not imagine going through those things with no concept of, the, of God being in control and God using such something ter- that seemed terrible today for my good and my benefit maybe you're here today and you've never surrendered your heart to God you've never given him control Can I just tell you, God's not going to step in and take control over your life until you surrender your life to him. It's kind of like taking the steering wheel of your life and going, God, here, you drive because you're better at it than me. God knows what you don't know. God sees what you don't see. Maybe you're sitting here today and we talk about hardship. You go, I've never faced anything major in my life. Listen, the Bible says none of us know what tomorrow will bring. The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 10, verse 9 and 10, that if we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that Jesus is the Son of God and he was raised from the dead, 
Romans 10, 13 says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Can I just tell you, religion makes it very hard to get to God, but God makes it very easy because he wants relationship with you here on earth and he wants to spend eternity with you. So you're here today and you say, I've never really surrendered my heart to God, but I want to do that today. The Bible tells us that today is the day of salvation. There's no better day than today. You're here today and you say, I've never really surrendered my heart to God, but I want to do that today. If that's you, I want you to simply right where you are, raise your hand and put it right back down. Thank you. Thank you. Anyone else today? Thank you. Anyone else? Thank you. Anyone else? Thank you. Thank you. Let let me just say this. You can keep your heads bowed. I want to pray a prayer with you. There's no... Praying this prayer doesn't make you saved. We're just praying, helping. We're just giving you a prayer to help articulate what's in your heart today. It's your surrender to God. It's you saying, God, not my will, but thy will be done. I want to pray, and I want you to pray, repeat this prayer after me. But I want every believer in this room to pray along in support of these that lifted their hands today. Can we pray out loud together? Dear Lord Jesus, I believe you're the Son of God. I believe that on the cross, you took my sin, you took my shame, you took my guilt, and you died for it. I believe that you faced hell for me so I wouldn't have to go. You rose again on the third day to give me a place in heaven, a purpose on earth, and a relationship with your Father. Today, I confess, and I believe that I am born again. God is my Father. Jesus is my Savior. The Holy Spirit is my helper. And heaven is now my home. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Can we thank God today for these?